The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This morning, we're continuing in our study of uh, Romans. What a great letter. I hope that you have taken advantage over the last several weeks that we've been in this book to read it cover to cover, front it back, uh, to, to sit down and to read uh, from the very beginning introduction all the way through uh, how Paul has written this letter. That's how you read letters. Uh, that's how it's to be done. And so I hope that you'll take advantage of that and to do that. It'll be a blessing to your soul. If you're riding in the car and you've got time, just put it uh, on in your uh, on your MP3 player and on your iPhone or whatever, and, and listen to it read. Um, this morning during the first service, somebody's phone went off and we were listening to it read uh, from their phone. So I was glad that they had it all queued up uh, for a different version than mine, but uh, still it was good. Um, but I hope you'll take advantage of it. Because you see, what we've been looking at is Paul writing a very articulate and tight argument. Paul is presenting to a church that he has not gone to. He's presenting to a church that he did not start. Uh, a church that is uh, a socially mixed church. It has wealth and it has poverty. Uh, a church that was an ethnic mix. It had people from all over the ancient Near East and of the Mediterranean Rim uh, within the church. It was a church of mixed religious backgrounds. It was a church that had Jewish Christians. Uh, who would have grown up within the context of the synagogue and the knowing of the law uh, and of the promises of Messiah and of coming to a faith of recognizing that Christ Jesus was the Messiah, is the Messiah. They placed their faith in him, that he was the fulfillment of the law, uh, that he was the one for whom all of Israel had looked. And so there was that group. And then there was this other group of folks who'd grown up uh, in the uh, pagan ancient uh, Near East where they had worshipped other gods, they had been under different philosophies and thought, where they'd come, though, into contact with Christian believers uh, who had presented the gospel to them, and they had been converted and were now all together in this new church. And Paul's writing them and saying, folks, I want to preach the gospel to you, this gospel which says uh, that you are worse than you want to believe that you are. The gospel is first bad news before it's good news. It first says, you're a mess. Your heart's a mess. Your life's a mess. On your own, in your natural condition, you're a mess. And what it should get from all of uh, humanity is an amen. Because it has the most proper anthropology of any philosophy that has ever been presented. It is the truth that says, here's the first part of the gospel. You're worse than you want to believe that you are. But, in Christ... You are more loved than you ever dared dream or imagine. Simultaneously. Simultaneously, you have a heart that rebels against God, but you have a heart that has been redeemed by God. And you have a status that now says that you are justified, that your record is pure, that your accounts are fully paid, and that you now stand as a child of God, loved by God, adopted by God the Father. You are you are kingly in who you are. You are royal in that way. You are holy and precious unto God. It is an orphan's wildest dream. 
And he says, that's the good news of the gospel. And I am not ashamed of this gospel, that I'm going to preach this gospel to you because I want it to bear fruit within the context of the church. Interesting that he says, I want to preach the gospel to the church. Because what we've said over and over, week after week, is this. That the gospel is not simply the A, B, and C of the Christian faith. It is the X, Y, and Z as well. It's not just what enters you into the kingdom by saying that I believe in Jesus Christ, that He paid my debt uh, on the cross, and that I've placed my faith in Him, and now I get my pass into heaven. It doesn't stop there, but it's the daily believing the gospel, applying the truth of the gospel that changes us inside out and prepares us and makes us look more and more like Christ at the other end. It is the X, Y, and Z as well. And so Paul's preaching this gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of it. For it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says, for in it is the very righteousness of God given to us by faith. And it will save. But again, he begins in chapter 1, verse 18 and goes all the way through chapter 3, verse 20 with bad news because what he understood, he understood humanity well. He said there's going to be a lot of folks out there who are going to go, yep, I got it. Yep, I'm good. I'm set. It's for all those other people. I get it. Uh, I've already taken care of it. I'm good with God. And he said, first, here's who it's for. He says, for the the rank pagan, it's for the person who's grown up outside of the church and lives a life of license, a a life that says there is no consideration of God, that they are their own God, that they live in a way that has no acknowledgement of God and their lives reflect that worldview. He says the gospel is for those individuals and it will save those individuals uh, if they have faith in Christ. He says the gospel, and then you could probably imagine there was a whole group of people in the church who went, thank goodness. That was me. I was crazy and I was nuts and I'd never been to church and I was out there doing my thing and my parents were atheists and and my whole thing and then all this and I encountered this person on the street and I believed in this Christ. Thank goodness, that's for me. That's awesome. And there was this other whole group of people in the church who were going, yeah, yeah, we know those people. Yeah, I can't stand those people. They just live their lives crazy and all this stuff and then they think that they can just by faith believe in Jesus and do this. They've shown nothing. This is crazy. I've come to church my whole life. I've been a good synagogue boy. And I've grown up in the synagogue, and I've known the Torah, and I've got it memorized, and I've done all this stuff. I've honored my parents. I've never murdered. I never cheated. I never stole. Never done any of that. Uh, I've done all the right stuff. And Paul turns his gaze to that group, and he says, be careful. Be very, very careful, church people. Be careful that your faith is not in what you've done. Be careful that your hope is not set on your merit, but it's on the merit of Christ. And so he turns his gaze uh, to the religious folks. And that's what we've been looking at, these two different audiences. It's very interesting, if you've read this, which I hope you have, maybe your minds went forward, or backwards actually, because you're going, okay, I've heard this. Somebody else was teaching to these two audiences Somebody else was teaching to a bunch of people who were renegade and crazy and going out and doing crazy stuff. And they were teaching to people who were pretty religious. Oh, yeah, Jesus. In Luke 15, the the prodigal, the story of the two lost sons. Yeah, that story where he preached the gospel to two audiences in the same audience. And he said to some of them, he said, hey, you relate really well to the younger son. 
And some of you here relate really, really well to the younger son. That was your life. That was your story. And you relate to them. And you go, thank goodness I was in a pigsty. I was blowing up. My whole life was a mess. I was doing all of this stuff. And I came limping back to God. And I had even a misunderstanding of God and who he was and his benevolence to me and his mercy in this. And I said, God, I'm just going to be a slave. I'll work for you. I'm going to work my salvation out for you. Uh, I'll pay you back. And the father embraced him and covered his nakedness and gave him a signet ring and gave him his clothes. And he said, you're my son. But then there was this other audience that he related to. And he said, some of you listening are like the older brother. You can't stand younger brothers. You can't stand younger brothers because they seem to get all the attention. They get parties thrown for them. They get to talk up on stage. They get to give their testimonies. I never get to give my testimony. I've been faithful to you, Dad. I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've gone to church. I've gone to Sunday school. I've obeyed. I'm all of this. And you never let me have a goat to pass and have a party with my friends. You never let me uh, have all of this. I resent you, Dad. I've obeyed you, but I hate you. I've done everything you've asked me to do, but I resent you deep down inside. You're a slave master to me, not a father. And the father looks at him in Luke 15 and says, Come in. Son, come in. Do you know, do you remember how that parable ends? Do you remember who's at the table? The younger son is at the table. Do you remember conspicuously where the older son is left? He's left outside. Because in his own righteousness and in his self-proclaimed indignation of the father, he remains on the outside. That's why I've preached one sermon to folks who are out there living a crazy life and doing their thing. And I'm preaching two sermons to church folk. Because here's what I know. It's incredibly difficult to convince older brothers that they need the gospel. It's incredibly difficult uh, to convince church people that they are in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're so good. Because you look so nice today. You gave a tithe. You came to church. You signed up for some stuff. You're involved in a small group. You're a good person. Uh, you, you are, you're it. And Paul says, that's who I need to preach to a lot. Because it's very, very difficult for a religious person to be convinced of their need of the gospel. And some of you know you need to listen today. And so what Paul is doing here is he is systematically attacking the legs upon which, of the chair upon which religious folks sit. And he's knocking them out. That's what's happening in chapter 2 and beginning of chapter 3. He's knocking them out. And then he answers some objections. He says, now I know that I've just knocked out this and I've, I've taken you to task and, and I've come in and I've whittled it away and now you're flailing on the floor going, oh man. And he said, so you're going to give me a couple of object objections and one of the objections is this, well, what good is it anyway to be of the house of God? Is there any value at all? The, his current or his original audience was Jewish. Is there, is there any value at all in being Jewish? And some of you are going to listen today and your objection is going to be this. Is there any value at all to be in the church then? Is there any value at all to have grown up in the church? Is there any value at all uh, that I know my Bible, that I study it, that I, that I believe in certain things? Is there any value in that at all? And then a second objection that he touches on is this, an objection that says, but aren't some people within the church who have tasted of the goodness of God, so aren't some of them lost? Because not everybody who comes to church is saved, by the way. 
Not every church member on every church role is saved. And the objection comes, isn't that, doesn't that show God's unfaithfulness? If everybody's not saved who comes to church, if everybody's not saved who was baptized, if everybody's not saved who takes the Lord's Supper, if everybody's not saved who can name the 66 books, if everybody's not saved uh, who's done that, if they're not all saved, doesn't that show that God's unfaithful? And Paul addresses those. That's where we're going to touch today, uh, this morning. And so I want you to listen well. Because I want you to hear again the word of the Lord. But I want you to hear something about the messenger, me, today. I was an older brother who became quickly a younger brother. Who got converted. And over the course of years, I find myself acting an awful lot like an elder brother again. And some of you are going, you lost me. And some of you are going, I know exactly what you mean. I grew up in the church. I'm Presbyterian as Presbyterian comes, folks. And my dad was Presbyterian pastor. My mom was the head of the women in the church. My grandfather on my father's side was an elder in the Southern Presbyterian Church. My grandmother, Mabel, was the head of all of women's ministries in the Southern Presbyterian Church. My great uncle served as a Presbyterian missionary in the Congo in the 1930s. My family is just riddled with Presbyterian pastors and missionaries and elders and godly women. And I grew up in church, and I was in Sunday school every dadgum Sunday morning, and I was at church every Sunday night. And if we had a Wednesday night, I was at church on Wednesday night. And you throw in any other night of the week, I was there. And I wanted to play basketball uh, for Newell Baptist Church. And so the only way I could play basketball for Newell Baptist Church as Presbyterian was to go to Royal Ambassadors. So I would start going to Royal Ambassadors. So I was at Royal Ambassadors on a certain night of the week so that I could do that. And then I even went to a college named Presbyterian College. Uh, and so... Um, not a Presbyterian college, but the, the Presbyterian college. And the Fighting Blue Hose are going to have a great football season this year. Uh, I'm convinced of it. But I'm that kid. And what I realized is I hated being a church person. So much so that I became a younger brother very, very rapidly. And I blew up in middle school and high school. And in college, I was crazy and went nuts and did all these stupid and crazy things. And lived a life that's a poster child for what that life outside of the church looks like. And then I came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, and I've walked with Christ since the time I was 22 now. Uh, and I find myself regularly going, I'm pretty good. I'm a pastor. Uh, I, I'm righteous. And I find myself becoming an older brother again. So I want you to relate in here and see some of these movements and see if the argument that Paul, that the Lord is making, doesn't strike you because it's incredibly important church to hear these things. This is the word of the Lord. For all have sinned without the law. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who are righteous and justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed 
from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher to children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say uh, that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his circumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does that faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though every one were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. And so quickly, as we look, I remember as a kid playing a game called Icebreaker. And it was a little plastic game, and you had these little pieces of ice that got put in the middle, and you put a little man on the middle piece of ice there in the middle, and you had your little mallet, and you would tap on one, and one piece of ice would fall, and your opponent would tap on one, and the hope of the game was to knock as many pieces of ice and plastic out uh, before the man fell, and you were hoping that your opponent uh, would cause the man to fall. Paul is systematically doing that to the people in the church. He is clicking away at their, their faith, which has been placed in the wrong place. He is loving us today uh, by challenging some of our pre-held, very deeply held convictions uh, about what we are, uh, how we are saved. And it comes out normally in conversations, something like this. Uh, why would you go to heaven? Why should God let you into heaven? Well, I've, I've worked really hard to be a good person. I've been a good Christian. You ever heard yourself say that? Well, I've been a good Christian. What does that mean? I've been a good Christian. What that really probably means underlying that is you're working really, really hard to establish yourself and that you're hoping at the end of the day when you look at God and he says, why do you get to come in here? You're going to go, because I've worked really, really hard at being really, really good. And I'm better than some people, not as good as others. So I'll take whatever you got in heaven. And God's going to say, I'm sorry. So Paul is lovingly attacking and addressing these things. Robert Dinkoff, are you around? Where's Robert? See in here? Somebody can somebody turn like the AC down? 
just like, by down, I don't mean colder. Uh, thank you, Tim. Uh, so I say that I've got a condition called Raynaud's disease, and if you think it's cold, I, my hands hurt so badly uh, when it gets cold, so I understand fully. So if you're sitting here like this, I don't want to preach to you like this, uh, but that's kind of how I feel. And I tell all the other guys on staff, never preach with your hands in your pocket, so I'm dying not to put my hands in my pocket. I'm freezing up here too. So uh, we'll try uh, together to stay focused uh, for the next few minutes. The first thing that Paul begins to address is he says this. He says, folks, what are you putting your hope in? He's asking, what are you putting your hope in? And what he begins to find is that the Jews were putting their hope in four things. The Jews, through this section, were putting their hope in uh, their election by God, that they were chosen by God as sons of Abraham. As he goes back, he says, you call yourself sons of Abraham, and that's something important to you. You say, I'm going to get to heaven. I know that I'm one of God's people because I'm a child of Abraham. And so they put their hope in their election, their choosing by God. They put their hope in the fact that they were of Israel. He says, we know, uh, and I know uh, that my hope is established because I know that I am of the lineage of Abraham, and I know uh, that God has called out Israel as his little country in the ancient Near East, and he's called us out, and that's my hope. I'm an Israelite. That's my hope. And they said, and also, not only am I a child of Abraham, and I'm a a member uh, of Israel, but I have the Torah. I have God's word. It's been given to us. I know it. I can recite it. I've memorized it. I can teach it to other people. I've got his word. And then their final argument that he addresses is they say we have circumcision. We have a sign of the covenant that we have been literally physically marked by God. And so those four things uh, that we're Abraham's children, that we're Israelites, uh, that we have the law, uh, and that we have circumcision. Those four things point to us. They allow us to know that we're in good standing with God. And Paul goes, that's rubbish. Every part of it. He said, if you try to stand before God and say, I get to go to heaven because I can, I've gone on uh, genealogy.com. I've gone... Uh, and to Ancestry.com, and I've found that I go all the way back to Abraham. God's going to go, that's great. And I'm an Israelite. I I have a card. Uh, I'm an Israelite. I'm pure blood. I am born. I am an Israelite citizen. God's going to go, that's interesting. God, I've got your law. I know your law. I I can quote, you give me God any place in the Bible, I'll tell you where it's from. I'll I'll quote you uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I can give you the Ten Commandments in order, God. That's a big one. And uh, I'll throw in a kicker. I'll give you all 13 of the apostles. Because I know God's word. God's going to go, that's great. I'm glad you have knowledge of my word. And I was circumcised. I was circumcised, God. I was physically marked uh, as a child of the covenant. So therefore, I must be able to get into heaven. Paul says to them, it's rubbish. That is not how you get into heaven. Those are good things, but that is not how you get into heaven. And some of you are sitting here and you're going, that's interesting. I'm not Jewish. That's really fascinating. But I'm kind of here now, Bill. Uh, And here, this is what Paul would say to you and me. You believe in predestination election, that God is the one who out of all uh, of the people determines who uh, gets to be saved and who doesn't? 
He says, well, I'm glad that you believe that. And that's important for you to believe. But that's not going to get you into heaven if you have a good theology. And you believe that you're called and elected. Or if you believe that you chose God and that it's on your conviction and on your uh, testimony, then uh, that's good too, but it's not on that. I'm glad you have a great testimony and a very powerful one, but it's not on that. I'm glad that you've associated with the church. I'm glad that you've taken membership at Hilton Head Presbyterian Church and that you associate yourself with a local congregation. It's important to do that, and I'm, I'm very happy that you're a part of that, but that doesn't get you. Interesting. I hear people all the time come to me and talk to me, and they don't really know what to say when they find out I'm a pastor. They go, oh, well, I'm, I'm a Baptist. I'm like, well, that's good. Or, I mean, I'm Methodist. Wonderful. Um, or if you drive out, interesting, if you drive out 278 at one of the Catholic parishes, there's a big sign out front that says, if you're interested in becoming Catholic, talk to us. Well, that's fascinating. You're Catholic. You realize it doesn't matter if you're Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Catholic, Baptist, in your background. That's not it, who you associate with. But we're so proud of those things, aren't we? I'm Presbyterian. I was complimented Tuesday, I think, after the uh, funeral. You know, you'd make a good Baptist preacher. I was like, I'm not sure. I, I, really, I, I don't know what to do with that. Thank you, I think. It doesn't matter if I'm Presbyterian or Baptist. It doesn't matter if I'm of Israel or not in that way. Oh, but we believe in God's inerrant word, all 66 books. We believe it is the very word of God, and we hold the word of God high. And I can tell you all the things about it. I've memorized it. I've gone to catechism class, and I've gone to communicants class, and I've done all of these things. I know God's word, and I hold it in high esteem. Well, that's good. That's important. That's good stuff for you. Okay, Bill, I've been baptized. Three times! first one I don't remember because I was a kid and so I needed to do it when I remembered it because that would be important but that one I don't think took because then I had this rebellious part of my life and so when I became uh, an adult and married and have children I wanted to come back and be rebaptized again because now I know that it's real uh, and so I've been baptized multiple times baptized Bill and I come to the Lord's Supper uh, regularly and I take the Lord's Supper and I, I do that you know what Paul says to us in the church that's all good. And I can get you to heaven. Because every single one of those things, our theology, our identity in Christ, our being called into a church, the sacraments, the outward signs of an inward, they point to a promise that's behind. And unless you embrace the promise, the outward signs mean nothing, folks. Unless you embrace the reality of what is taking place at baptism. Baptism means nothing to you. It means nothing. Unless you embrace when we come for the Lord's Supper, the promise behind the Lord's Supper. Unless you embrace uh, the fact that God says, I promise to be your God and for you to be my people. And the only way that that promise can be fulfilled is if I send my own son into the world. And that you have to be baptized into him. You have to be in him. That's what that means. It doesn't mean sprinkle, pour, or immerse. It means you have to be found in him in order to be saved. And you have to believe that he died on the cross and that his blood was spilled and his body was given for us. And you have to believe in the promise behind it to make it effectual in your life. You can't just come to church and say you've taken it. 
You can't just do the things and say, well, I've got it. Folks, Paul, Paul had a pretty good testimony. He said, you want to go toe-to-toe with me? Fine, Jew of Jews. I feel that same way sometimes. You want to go toe-to-toe? Hey, Presbyterian of Presbyterians, folks. I went to, and even went to, you know, to Reformed Theological Seminary. We've got the name in it. I mean, we're Reformed. I'm getting, I got it. But all that outward stuff, Paul is saying, it doesn't matter. You see, if you argue the privileges of God that has been given you apart from obedience, apart from faithful response to those promises of God, apart from the embrace of Jesus the Messiah, these privileges do not save you. These privileges actually condemn you. Because God is saying, you've been given these things and you never took Christ. You took the outward part, as one pastor put it. You've taken the husk with never embracing the kernel. You've liked the outward accoutrements of church, but you've never embraced Christ. You love being moral. You love knowing your theology. You love teaching the theology. You like teaching kids. You love all of this stuff. It's awesome. That's wonderful. That's great. But you know what? You blaspheme Christ to the Gentiles because they see that you don't really love him. Oh, church, what a wake-up call for us. That just because we're here and we do all of these things, it doesn't mean that we've embraced Christ. You know what? you need to wrestle with is this. Have you embraced Christ? And only Him. Everything else be damned. Repent of it. And take only Christ is what Paul is saying. Jonathan Edwards in the most powerful sermon that you will ever hear, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I hope that you will read it I've got copies of it on a CD. And just to take away the here's your sign, I gave it to someone and they said, oh, is this Jonathan Edwards preaching? It's like, no. He, he was several centuries ago. But it is someone else reading his sermon. And what he said was this. Oh, you church people, be very, very careful. You walk along all of your goodness and you walk along a floor that is made up of your righteousness. But when it cracks and it falls, the abyss is deep. I never want you to say that you thought that your righteousness was based upon anything else but Christ. I'm glad you're in church and that's a good thing. I'm glad some of you go to Christian Academy. That's a good thing. I'm glad some of you homeschool your kids to keep them there and to teach them the precepts of God in a way that's there. I'm glad that when you're in the public schools, you go to Young Life and you go to FCA. I'm glad for all of those things. I am glad that many of you are standing for Christ and everybody's here in your small groups and your home groups and you're doing. But folks, that's never it. It's Christ who's it. And only Christ who's it. That's Paul's entire argument. And then he has, he's ready for objections. Maybe we'll have to talk about those objections next week. But his objection, I'll at least talk with the first one briefly. Some of you are going, then what advantage is all of this stuff anyway? 
What advantage is it that I grew up in the church? What advantage is it uh, that I was on the cradle roll? What advantage is it that I have a Christian education? What advantage is it that my parents are godly people and have taught me these things? Is there any advantage at all to being in church and being in small group and knowing God's word? Is there any advantage at all? And Paul's answer is, of course there is. It's just not unto salvation, but it is a huge advantage. If there's one school in all the world that is teaching the truth about God, one school in all the world, And you're invited to go to that school. And you get to go to that school. And your children get to go to that school. But there's no guarantee that you believe. It's just you're going to be presented with the very truth of God. Is there an advantage for you to go to that school? Of course there is. There is advantage for you to be in the church. There's advantage for you to know God's word. Parents, I applaud you when you have your children uh, in the ministries of the church and in uh, ministries that are highlighting, promoting Christ. I applaud you in that. And I would challenge some of you other parents who say, well, my kids just don't really like coming. I don't care. It's advantageous for my children to have been raised in the context of the church. It was an advantage to them to live among you. I'm a preacher's kid. I hated being a preacher's kid. I really did. I didn't think I wanted to be a preacher only so I wouldn't have children who were preacher's kids. You laugh, but I'm serious. I left ministry for a year and I wondered if I would come back into it because I didn't want my children raised as preacher's kids. The pressure that's on them. But I am so thankful as I reflect now of growing up in the church of seeing godly men and women, of watching my parents, of learning the precepts of God, of knowing His Word, and now such a rich storehouse that I didn't even know was there and that I pull on regularly now in my life of things implanted by a faithful teacher in Sunday school in Cape Girardeau, Missouri in the 1970s. To see this crazy hippie who came to faith named Chip play his guitar and his little robe and his Jesus sandals and get all excited about Jesus. And I thought, that guy's nuts. And then later on I went, I hope that I have that same enthusiasm for the gospel as Chip. There's advantage for being in the church. It's just not unto salvation. You still have to embrace Christ. You see, Paul is saying it's important to be in the church. It's important to have all of these things. It's important to know these things. But at the end of the day, and I'll skip to the end, the promise has to be embraced. The promise has to be embraced. You have to believe what's behind it. For the Jew who said, well, what's what's the good of circumcision? I don't understand circumcision. Is it of any value at all? Paul said, absolutely it is, because the only way you're going to understand circumcision is you have to understand that Christ was cut off. Circumcision was a cutting off. And you have to believe that in order for you to be saved, that you have to believe that Christ, your Messiah, was cut off. That he was removed and the Father turned his face away so that you would never be cut off. I'm glad you take communion, but unless you believe that that communion has to point to a fact that Christ had to drink something that you should have drank, the very cup of wrath of God. Of course it's important to take, but believe what's behind it. 
and is there. Go deeper, folks, is what Paul is saying, what I'm saying to you today. We'll end. Some of you who are church folks are offended right now. I get that. Some of you are troubled. And I hope that you will sit there for a moment and ask why you're troubled. I remember listening to that CD of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God a few years ago, driving back from Atlanta. And I pulled over on the side of the road on the shoulder of I-85. And I sat and I repented of all the righteous things that I thought I could, that I'd ever done. And said, Lord, I don't want my hope to be in these things. I want them to be in Christ alone. So would you make sure that that is my hope? Would you allow the word of God to go deep? I was sitting one time, pastor's home, my boss, with five other pastors. We're having breakfast. Beautiful antique table. Beautiful antique chairs. And I'm sitting there, brand new pastor. Green, nervous. I got invited. It's like awesome. I sat trying to make a positive impression. And I leaned back a little bit in my chair away from the breakfast table. And I heard this sound of creaking and of cracking. And within a moment, it seemed like it was slow motion. <laughs> the chair gave way. Two, at least two of the legs disintegrated. I don't know if they were balsa wood or what, but they disintegrated. Coffee went up onto the wall in painting. Feet flew up, and I'm sitting on the floor in a heap with coffee on me and laughter around me and terror inside of me. you know what? They gave me another chair. And I got to go back to the table. Folks, if you get in front of God the judge on your last day and all of the legs that you've been standing on other than Christ crumble, the fall will not just be a couple of feet to the floor. It will be through into an abyss that is forever lost. And so my encouragement to you today is make sure that you're ready today on Christ alone. My son Will went to an Atlanta Braves baseball game last night. Enjoyed it. Had a great time. Read the headlines today. 55-year-old man was yelling at Alex Rodriguez as he was coming out of the dugout. And he got too close to the edge. And he fell to his death at an Atlanta Braves game last night. I pray that that man's hope was not in the fact that he was a good man. Because I promise you, he didn't go to that game thinking he was going to meet his creator in and during that game. Be prepared, church. Be prepared to meet Christ. Believe the promise behind all the external that is here. See him and come to him. Let's pray. Father, these are hard words for us to digest and to get around but the most loving words that we will hear is that you challenge us out of our slumber. You challenge us out of our preconceived notions of what we are basing our faith on. And Father, I pray that parents today would sit around a lunch table and talk to their children and make sure that their children know 
upon what to base their hope. I pray that husbands and wives would have deep and meaningful conversations and that friends would sit around and gather and laugh about the weather and laugh about the scores but talk about eternal things and that we as a church would be willing to go out with this message, that we would share it with a world that says that we are invited to a table, that that table is only able to be, to be reached through the merits of Christ, not our own. So, Father, do your work, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Our hope today, and we'll end with this song. We're past a few minutes, and I recognize that. But God with us, he brings us peace, our deliverer. Let's stand and sing.